Welcome to the One Player Podcast. This is episode 219. No, wait. 220. Somewhere in this jungle, I've lost Julius. He's looking for treasure. I need to somehow get past him. Collect it all for myself. The race is on. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Joe Slack, the designer of Relics of... I'm not going to try and butcher the name. Relics of Java is how I've been pronouncing it. But Joe, since you're with us, why don't you tell us how to pronounce the name of your game? Sure. It's Relics of Rajavahara. Why Why did you pick a name that is so hard to pronounce to search for? I know. Why would it, you do that to me? In hindsight, I would probably go back and change that. Uh, when I was looking for inspiration for where you know the setting for this game would be, I was... I did a search for, uh, on Google for like the most amazing looking um, ancient sites and, and temples and, and places in the world to go see. And I came across this one that looked just absolutely amazing. It, it had these trees coming like out of a building and it was just so picturesque and amazing. I said, that's, that's, that's truly awesome. I want it to be built around this. And the place was originally called Rajavahara. It's now known as Taprom and it's in uh, Cambodia. Very cool. And I think you definitely pull that theme out. When I'm playing through your your game, it very much feels like you've got the idea of an Indiana Jones-style temple or a Lara Croft-style temple where you're trying to solve the puzzle in order to be able to move these blocks around the board. To give a quick overview for any of our listeners who are not familiar with familiar with the game the idea of this one is it's a puzzle style game similar to any of your classic think fun style games where you have a card that shows you the setup for how it is that you arrange a set of different blocks all with different sorts of powers on your board and then your goal is depending upon the scenario but generally either to somehow crush or defeat the enemy or to steal all the gemstones from the temple by pushing around these blocks and use specific rules for how and when you're allowed to interact or push around these blocks. Good enough summary for you, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, it's really just like a campaign style game where very much like some puzzly video games, you're kind of learning as you go and uh, you are opening up one floor at a time, uh, going through 10 levels, opening up the next one, and then being um, introduced to a brand new uh, mechanic that comes with the new block. And that just keeps going and the levels get more challenging as you go through. And you're also trying to face off against a nemesis and uh, defeat him before you get out of the temple or out of the palace, I should say. Mm -hmm. And when I was opening up the different boxes involved in this game, I definitely appreciated the idea that each one similar to many of the legacy style games, you get to open up a new box. You have a brand new rule. You have a brand new component. There's a, visceral joy about opening those things up that you don't really have present in other puzzle games usually all of the components already out it's just the complexity that gets harder and harder as you build up the levels i don't think with regard to your game that really there was that difficulty scale to it it's not like in my opinion at least the later puzzles are harder per se than the earlier puzzles they just have more elements and things going on because it's introduced a new block type was that something you were working on? What did you feel about how the difficulty of the puzzles advancements should have been? Yeah. So when I was developing the game, uh, I mean, the first initial idea was just, uh, I took like 
the idea of uh, video game puzzles, like uh, for, inspira for inspiration, really the main game was Fire and Ice, uh, which is an old Nintendo game, uh, but also uh, some other games like Adventures of Lolo and uh, some of the earlier Zelda games and that type of thing. And I just wanted to kind of recreate that into a physical tabletop game. And the first thing that came to mind was crates, pushing around these crates uh, or blocks or boxes. Uh, but, you know, very quickly as I was developing the game, I realized there had to be more. There had to be new challenges and whatnot. I can only make so many puzzles with just crates. So uh, the idea was to add more and more things. And as every level went up and as I was developing them, I tried to order them in such a way that, say, for example, in floor one, you'd have the 10 levels and each one is a little bit harder than the last one or at least builds on it a skill. Maybe the first one's fairly simple. You're just learning, you know, how to push blocks. And then it's about the next one's about how to climb, how to, you know, uh, combine different movements and that kind of thing, working your way up to floor two and then beyond that. So uh, the intention was really for the levels to get harder over time. And, and everybody has a different experience with it. I know a lot of people, you know, will fly through. Uh, floor one and maybe even floor two, and they get stuck somewhere along the lines on floor three or four or or uh, five uh, because they they do get uh, quite a bit more challenging. But it depends on the player too. Some people you know just understand these puzzles and and learn them and just fly right through them too. So it depends <laughs> on the player. Well, I definitely have an advantage of playing a large number of different types of these puzzle games. It's definitely a forte of mine to be able to play through them. I recognize some of them. I, I definitely understood that when you introduced a mechanic. At one point, it becomes, oh, this is how you reapply that same mechanic that you taught me to be able to solve the next puzzle of the game. So there was definitely that sense of building that you can see over the course of a number of different puzzles. And you can definitely feel how the inspiration, the ideas of other games that generally try to teach a mechanic and then have you apply that were reapplied into your game and the design of it. So I definitely saw that come through. Yeah. What of. I'm, what do you think was your favorite? I know that there are, and spoilers for anybody who hasn't opened up the full game, but the five different crates, blocks types were the crates, the boulders, the ice, the fire, and the water. Was there one of those in particular that you felt was the most fun to be designing? Um, when I was designing, I found the ice was really a lot of fun uh, because they, they work like the crates, except for there's less control on them. So you have to really... Uh, position other things around on the board uh, just precisely. Otherwise, you're going to get in some situations where they're going to get stuck or they're not going to go right where you want. So uh, that was a lot of fun to try to design those levels. And, and quite a lot of the levels, I would design something with the crates. And then I said, okay, what if I kind of took a, a similar approach with this level, but I made it harder by replacing some of the crates with ice and move things around a little bit more. So the level will be fresh and new, but it's going to be a lot more challenging because you can't just, you know, push it one space. It's going to go flying across and it's going to get, you know, wedged against uh, somewhere you don't want it. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a number of different inspirations you have from video games. Were there any board games or puzzle games that were an inspiration? Yeah, there was one. You mentioned Think Fun, and they definitely came to mind. I'd actually never played Rush Hour before, but I, I heard it uh, mentioned by a few people as soon as I started, <laughs> you know, playtesting with other people. Uh, but uh, there was another game by Think Fun that uh, my nephew had, and I remember him bringing over, and uh, we actually have have it now uh, because uh, he gave it to uh, to my son. And I think it's called uh, it's it's River Crossing or something along those lines, I believe. And it's it uses planks 
and uh, like posts, and you're supposed to walk across them from one side to the other and avoid alligators and that type of thing. And it's it's a series of one level after the other. Here are the pieces you have, and here are they're they're set up, and you have to get from one side to the other. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a combination of taking that and making it a little more challenging. Um, making it a little more 3D and building some of the tricky puzzle aspects from some video games as well. Indeed. And for me, when I was playing through the game, one thing that I thought it sort of was analogous to was another Think Fun game called Tip Over, uh, where you actually have these towers of blocks that you build. And unlike in this one, where the whole idea is that you can push around crates and tip over, you can only knock over crates. So it only can uh, be knocked over on one of the crates access, uh, access points. So if it's a three story crate, it falls down into a three long plank and your goal is to knock them over in the correct order to be able to walk around on the, on the crates, the floor is lava in that game to be able to access the end goal. So the, the 3d ness of it, especially as all of your crates continue to build very much reminded me of it. Although in your game, the crates are very thick and heavy and chunky. You definitely could have gone for much smaller crates in your game, but kudos for making sure that there was a nice weighty component to that. It makes it a lot easier to be able to manipulate that, especially for a puzzle type game. Oh yeah. Um, that when I was designing the game and, and testing it, I had some blocks from, uh, from Dollarama dollar store and uh, I was testing them out and they work to an extent, but when you stack too many of them, it just wasn't very stable. So I tried different sizes of blocks and wanted to get it just right. Not too big, not too small. Um, and the one inch mm-hmm. blocks seemed to work really, really well. Um, and it, it, yeah, they, they, they just really did the job. And uh, the game you mentioned there, that sounds like a lot of fun too. It sounds like a really tricky puzzle to figure out. It is. Um, let me ask you about something that may be a little bit of a dispute for anyone who's more of a follower of BGG and their way of doing things. For a long time, it used to be the BGG, and I think they even still somewhat maintained this rule, that they would not add on to their website anything that was a puzzle. They would only add on to something that was an actual game. There's been a lot of debate over what defines a game, whether something is a game or a puzzle. For Relics, you have called it a campaign-style game. I continue to refer to it as a puzzle, and that may just be a difference in our two definitions. And I definitely don't want to denigrate it by calling it a puzzle. I've referenced already three or four other puzzles. I greatly enjoy puzzles, and I've reviewed other puzzles on this podcast before. But I want to ask for you, what do you feel makes something a game instead of a puzzle, or are they synonymous? And how does Relics tie into that to make it into a campaign-style game? Yeah, that can be a little bit of a tricky thing. And, you know, when I was working on the game and I showed it to one of their designer, he said, don't call it a puzzle. Don't call it a puzzle. Call it a game. Because uh, he's like, you know, people will will not like that or whatnot. Uh, but I did tend to, you know, emphasize the puzzliness of it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think in terms of the difference between a puzzle and a game, I mean, a puzzle, I think, is usually defined as having one solution. Basically, you, you do it and you're done with it, that kind of thing. And I can see why, you know, if, if you're looking at relics, some people might think of it in that way, um, certainly, especially like the campaign. You know, you go through the 50 levels. It's one level after another. You're solving a puzzle in each one and ultimate goal of, of trying to complete all these. Um, but that's why I also wanted to introduce um, one extra element. So once you finish the campaign, you open up another envelope and it opens up a whole new world. Um, there's two brand new ways you can play the game. One's kind of a build your own sandbox and, and solve it kind of game. And the other one 
uh, that I was more leaning towards even for, for players to really enjoy is tackling some of these older levels, but with different challenges, different combinations of challenges. So it's almost infinitely replayable in all these different combinations. And I guess you could say in a way too, um, if you look at some of these other games like Adventures of Lolo, um, Sokoban, uh, which I was only introduced to afterwards and, and heard there's some similarities to this as well. Um, and um, what was the other one I was going to say? Um, some of the puzzles in, in uh, Zelda, but um, they're, they're at Fire and Ice, uh, which was one of the inspirations as well. I mean, uh, they're video games. They're, I've, I've never heard anybody call them video puzzles, <laughs> although they are you know completely puzzles. You complete one puzzle or level and move on to the next one and move on to the next one until you complete the game. So I guess the question would come back to, well, can a tabletop game have that kind of similar experience where you have to beat a level and you're moving on, uh, but it's it's kind of a puzzle, but you can still call it a game. So I don't know, I guess it's still up for debate there, but I'd say a puzzle is generally something, you know, you solve once and, and you're done, which, you know, you can, you can see in some games as well. For your game though, you're saying that there is an infinite sort of replayability by adding on these extra challenges. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. So what it does is it takes a number of the levels that you've already completed from the campaign and kind of randomizes it with some cards and says, okay, now you're going to redo this level that you've done before. But instead of, for instance, going and getting the gem, which is a common goal in many of the the levels throughout the campaign, now you have to um, put out this particular fire that's now over here. You have to drop a block on your enemy who's here. You have to get the gem here and you have to get a second gem over here. And maybe the next time you play, you draw a totally different level and it's got, you know, between three and six other combinations of different things. So there's just so many different combinations. And every time you add new one in, you're adding in new elements to the level and new challenges you have to solve. So it's always a little different and you can't play it the exact same way. If you go back and try to play it just the way you did during the campaign, you will fail because things have changed and moved around and you can't just do that in that exact same way anymore. One of the biggest problems I've had when I'm playing through the game is when I get stuck on a level, usually with something like when you're talking about video games, it's very easy to use a hint type system. But even mm. with something like a think fun puzzle or things like this, you can get somewhat of a hint system by flipping over the cards, looking at the beginning of the solution or something like that to be able to do that. But with your game, you didn't print any of any of the solutions at all. Was this a conscious decision? Was this something you felt like needed to be included for it to be a game? Or was there something else to that decision? Well, I kind of took the the same approach as um, a lot of video games would in, in that, you know, they, they provide the game, but they don't provide the solutions. You have to figure them out for yourselves. And, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, fans who have, you know, come out with, you know, walkthrough videos or, or solutions to different levels and things like that. And I know I've had to look a couple up on, on games like Fire and Ice where I got really stuck. Um, so there is that approach that, you know, Perhaps, you know, some fans will come out and they have actually uh, a lot of fans in the Facebook group have, have come up with solutions. And I'm toying with the idea right now of coming up with some kind of a document or video series or something along those lines that will have the solutions for people who are stuck. Uh, but the beauty of having a tabletop game, unlike a video game, you're not going to get stuck and then just not be able to proceed until you complete that. You, you know, I've had some some people say, you know, I got stuck on, you know, three, six and uh 
I, I just moved on to the, <laughs> to the next one or whatnot. And I mean, that's, that's your prerogative. If you get stuck, you can absolutely do that. And then maybe you'll come back to that level and be like, oh, now I know how to do that. And kind of come back. So, I mean, it is really up to the game, you know, whether you, you know, call that cheating or, you know, just, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, bypassing a level. Um, one thing I'd actually thought about was, you know, maybe when you finish a floor, you'd gain some kind of power or some, a card that basically gives you a bypass. So you get to a level and you get stuck. You can bypass that level and go to the next one. I didn't introduce that because I want people to actually explore to do all every the single one of the levels. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it is really up to the player that that's the beauty of a tabletop game. You can, you can modify and, and, you know, skip a level if you want to. Whatever makes it fun for you. <laughs> definitely exactly. many times I, I'm playing a solo <laughs> game and I'm definitely, I definitely don't mind cheating for myself if I think it's going to make it more fun for me. Exactly. Sadly, for puzzle games, I've never really had that mental ability for me. I will have to sit there for 20 minutes staring at the puzzle. We cannot move on until we get done with this one, regardless <laughs> yes. of how much it takes. Yeah, and some people are just like that. They they just do not want to give up. They want to persevere and eventually get through it. And usually they do. You know, sometimes it's, you know, come back the next day. And, and the great thing is you can leave it set up on the table because it's not a big footprint. Um, and you can come back and be like, and just try something or be like, oh, now I, now I get it. Or, you know, just try a different approach. You say it's not a big footprint. I actually thought it was bigger than I expected. I was expecting a much smaller size box. And that was a very large box that this one was published in. So. Yeah. I, I would meant more that. for the, for the table space, uh, for the actual play, but yes, it, it does have a lot of content. Um, that's the smallest box we could fit everything in with the insert and everything, have everything being introduced one at a time. So that it would well, be feel that, that campaign legacy kind of style. Again, even I, and I return back to the idea of those chunky one inch blocks and that big player board, all that together, it just translates to a large size and good feeling type game mm, it, it's just yeah. it's a good big size for a puzzle game i enjoyed all of that excellent did you ever consider doing any other style of solo games are there any other style of solo games that you enjoy playing oh absolutely um i love solo games i got into solo games a few years ago um introduced through friday and you know have since played tons of, of different ones um unbroken cartographers the the solo version i love cats i love that solo version um, hostage negotiator, all sorts. Uh, McKee is one of my favorites actually too. Um, so yeah, that's definitely inspired me to get more into solo gaming and, and knowing that, you know, there is such a big solo gaming community. Um, I try to implement solo versions in any games that I design, um, and also have some games that are strictly solo. Um, I have one game that I've been working on called dream vacation, and it's, uh, an 18 card game where you're just, uh, cycling through and trying to gain the resources you need or the all the things you need for your trip kind of thing. It's it's a little bit like Palm Island, but you do need a little bit of table space. Um, and then uh, there's another game I'm working on right now called uh, Flight from Dr. Demented's Lab. And it's a, it's a co-op experience where you're trying to solve a, a bunch of puzzles real time to escape from this mad scientist who's after you. And uh, it's very much um, a, a great solo experience as well, because you can play with multiple players and you can very easily play it solo. And it's also a really great experience that way. And I wanted to make sure that that one um, was very strong as a solo game as well. Well, long-time listeners of the podcast will know the difference of opinion between Albert and myself, my co-host and myself about whether or not we enjoy real-time games. And I've always <laughs> really enjoyed those. And Albert has always really not. Yeah, so it's not, they're I'm not for everyone. Look at that one. No, they're definitely not. But I always love that adrenaline rush you get from being able to encounter the clock ticking down, especially when it's a nice audible clock or an app or something like that when you're doing these real-time games. 
Oh, yeah. We've got a great soundtrack with, you know, well, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, background for uh, the the prototype, but it's it's great because it has all these kind of uh, background effects and then, you know, the the footsteps coming and then the airlock opening when he comes into your room. So you have to, uh, you know, it's it's keeping that pressure up with the soundtrack as well. And I heard you mention also before we start recording that you're working on designing an expansion even for relics. Is that true? Yeah, um, the expansion is called Montello's Revenge. So Montello is your nemesis in the original game, and uh, he's come back in a certain way after you've uh, beaten him in the campaign. Won't reveal too much, uh, but it introduces 30 new levels, so three new floors, and every one of them has a brand new challenge, and it's completely different than the um, original base game, introducing um, new things uh, that you're going to have as uh, obstacles and helpful uh, challenges uh, to help you through the levels as well. But it's going to be on the same board, so it's the same general idea as the original base game, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to need all the the, the base board and the um, all the components and blocks and uh, and meeples and gems and all that uh, to play, and then you'll just add on uh, new components, new cards, and uh, yeah, a, a new experience for the game. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for that. And when's that going to be released in the Kickstarter? Uh, September seventh. Very neat. Well, then we'll have to make sure that we are uh, putting out a little bit of a notice about that when it reaches. Awesome. Thanks so much, Julius. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Joe. Is there anything else that you want to share? No, just, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep up with the podcast. I, I love hearing uh, you talk about all the great solo games coming out and uh, it's, <laughs> it's really necessary for us to, to hear and to share the solo gaming experience. It's, it's kind of funny that, you know, th- you know, there's a Facebook group that I am in as well. And there's like 25,000 members and uh, it's <laughs> like, we're all solo gaming together. together we're gaming alone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, keep it up. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Take care. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.